0: it's super easy just go to current.com slash okay okay and download the app that's current.com slash okay current is a financial
1: technology company not a bank banking services provided by choice financial group member fdic and cross river bank member fdic
0: welcome to OK computer i'm dan nathan i'm joined as always by deirdre bosa she is this host of cnbc's tech check debo welcome
2: been a busy news week, so I'm excited to be here.
0: The fact that you made time for me and our audience on a week where I've seen you all day long on CNBC reporting on all the tech earnings, and we're not even gotten to the big kahuna that would be Apple and, of course, Amazon, which you track very closely. Those are going to happen Thursday after the close, and we're going to hit all those. And also, I have a great discussion with Deepwater Asset Management, Gene Munster, where we do a little preview of those. So stick around for that. But, Dee, first things first, let's do a little housekeeping here. Okay, as we were kind of looking around and seeing what Dee was kind of reporting on this week and some things we wanted to hit, we saw a video on CNBC.com, which has also been running on the air. Deirdrop Bosa, Ambition to Me is the American Dream. This was really great, and talk to me a little bit about this, because I know your background, but let's let our listeners hear a little bit about how you started, because you did not start in the media, but you've actually been a reporter, obviously, since a pivot earlier in your career. You've been in Shanghai, you've been in Singapore, you've reported from Canada, and obviously now you're in San Francisco. Give us a little bit about the origins of this video and um, what this means to you. What about the American dream is so important here?
2: I would love to. And I love that you saw that, Dan. And I will also say that this is one of my favorite parts of the week is getting to sit down and talk about you and take sort of a broader perspective. So I love doing this podcast. So CNBC is running these sort of promo videos on ambition. If you watch CNBC, whether you're a CEO, a CFO, a retail day trader, a student who's looking to learn more about financial markets and companies and the economy, it's all about ambition, right? Wanting to do more. And so they've asked a number of us on air, people and even guess What does it mean to you to be ambitious? And I went back to why I even entered this industry in the first place. And I, as you said, Dan, I became a journalist after I was already in the corporate world. I was working for Rio Tinto, believe it or not, it was in the mining industry in Shanghai, China, where they were paying me basically pennies, no expat package by any means. But we called ourselves RMB millionaires because you would feel like a millionaire, if you were living in China with a much lower cost of living, even if you were earning nothing by U.S. or Western standards. So I was in Shanghai and a few of my colleagues were actually arrested for espionage charges. And I saw journalists from the Wall Street Journal, from the Financial Times, et cetera, camping out in our lobby. And I looked at them and I thought, you know, I think it looks a lot more exciting to be on that side of the door than on this side of the door, punching numbers into a spreadsheet day after day. (laughs) And that's really where it began. I was always interested in financial news. I always wanted to work for CNBC. And I don't know if you know this, Dan, but I interviewed a few times. I did not get the job right away. I had to be ambitious. I had to go back and say, I can do this. I I, I can get up to speed. I had to go away and study for a long time because then there's no teleprompter at CNBC or very minimal. You got to think on your feet. You got to be quick. You got to digest the news and react to it. Speaking of which, been a lot to react
0: to this week. No no doubt about it. We're going to put that video in the show notes. It's a great video and you are so articulate and your story is pretty fascinating. And hopefully over the next, let's call it few months or whatever, our listeners get to hear more about your background because it's pretty fascinating. I will tell you this, that I am in absolute awe of the work people like you do. Melissa Lee, who I obviously have worked really closely with on Fast Money for so many One years. One of the best. The ability for you guys to think on your feet, ask critical questions, ask the right questions and get to the like the main point for the viewer or the listener is just so important. And for me, it's just a very different, I'm a market participant, right? So I'm just like a hot take machine. You guys have to be very thoughtful of, about a lot of this and how it's relayed, I think, to the viewer, which, you know, it's expected to not be staring at a fax set machine all day long the way I do.
2: Okay, not to make this too much of a love fest, but I think that about you because you have to actually make calls. We don't do that at all, and we're not invested. We're not alive to, but you actually have money in the market, so it all works together, right? You need someone with some skin in the game. You need someone to step back from it, too, but let's just say that appreciation is mutual.
0: Let's talk about um, the markets here today because I think it is a pretty fascinating day. We're getting towards the end of Q2 earnings season. And I think that obviously we said Apple and Amazon are going to be really important tomorrow night. And they're two very obviously different companies with very different exposures. But to combine, they're about four and a half trillion dollars in market cap. So What they have to say about consumer, about enterprise, about China, these are going to be really important. And I'm just curious, you've been looking at the kind of progression of earnings season. It started out with the banks on July 14th. They were better than expected, but it was also a group that had been you know, fairly depressed and I think feeling the after effects of the rate hikes and the regional banking crisis. But tech earnings for the most part, D, have really been better than expected. And it's kept the market buoyed over the last few weeks. But today we have a NASDAQ that's down two and a half percent right now. We're just before one o'clock taping here. And to me, in front of tomorrow's earnings, I think this is a really important moment for the markets because it's been really hard to find reasons why we might have a sell-off here. So I'm just curious, how you're thinking about it. What's the sentiment? At least you've talked to a lot of CEOs. You've talked to a lot of investors. You've talked to a lot of private market investors over the last few weeks. What do you think the feel is for the markets right here?
2: I think when we went into this earning season and actually for the last couple of earning seasons, there were such high expectations and the mega cap tech companies have basically had to just do enough to keep the rally going. It's been so hard, as you said, to knock off tech, even though there's perhaps been reasons for it. We thought maybe this earnings season that the generative AI hype cycle would need to have more muster behind it, right? NVIDIA showed investors that they're actually monetizing this shift right now. We thought that maybe Microsoft and Google and Facebook or Meta would have to do the same. They didn't really. And investors said, okay, that's fine because the promise is still there and we're willing to give you a little bit more time. So I think the same goes for Amazon and Apple tonight, you look at a company like Apple, which has been seeing declining revenue growth over the last few quarters, and investors have said, "Okay, because the balance sheets are such fortresses, because they have these wide moats, because they're seen as the most exciting companies, that just feels like it's good enough for tech to continue to carry these markets, although the rally has broadened out over the last month or so, which is probably encouraging if you're along and you want to see strength from more than just the mega caps.
0: I think it's important to note that broadening out, you've seen a rotation, right? So these were really crowded trades, right? The Microsoft and the NVIDIA and Tesla and some of these things that have benefited over these narratives over the last few months or so. And it's interesting to note that the NASDAQ is down, let's call it three, three and a half percent from those recent 52 week highs. But stocks like Microsoft, this is a $2.5 trillion market cap company, it's down 10%. Tesla, which was nearing a trillion dollars, is down 15%. Netflix is down more than 15%, much smaller company, but again, had a huge run into its earnings, right? And then sold off after that. So I think it's interesting that what's clear is that investors are heading for the door, at least today, in a lot of the most crowded, much-loved trades. And I'm just going to mention NVIDIA, down 6%. I mean, this is a trillion-dollar market cap company that has doubled since it reported earnings last quarter. They don't report again until August 23rd. And might the impetus, and and again, last night, AMD reported, right? And this is exactly the point that you just made here, is that investors want to see how much of the excitement was in AMD and they weren't able to do it. Now the stock was up a few percent. It actually opened up on the day and now it's down 8%. All that's saying is that a lot of investors are heading for the door at the same time.
2: Something that I've been tracking this earnings season, I mean, it's easy to look at how many mentions of AI there are on the earnings call. But what I find is more interesting or have found to be more interesting to look at is mentions of CapEx. Between Google or Alphabet, Meta and Microsoft, 39 mentions. So not only is AI not being monetized at the moment, it's actually costing them a lot of money because in all three of those cases, the companies warned that their capital investment costs are going to go higher as they invest in this opportunity. That means different cloud infrastructure, essentially it means more chips from NVIDIA. That is interesting that it's down 6% today. That is a huge move for such a big company. But my takeaway from at least last week was that NVIDIA is gonna be the big beneficiary Is that already baked in, though, like you pointed to? It has run up so much this year. So do we get a bit of cold water?
0: That is going to be the absolute main event. And I also think it's interesting to note that this week, Intel, which was obviously not really involved in this, and we know where their exposures are, PC and data center, and, and, and some of that has been weak, and they've been late to the game. They did talk up a little bit about the opportunities that they see let's say, in the back half of the year into next year. But that stock gapped up 6% Friday after its earnings, and it's given it all back. It's filled in that gap. And so I know this sounds kitschy here, but, you know, mind these gaps. And SoFi was another one. I want to talk a little bit about some of the fintech names. That stock was up 20% the day after it reported earnings on a perceived better than expected quarter and raise. And now in the last two trading days, it's given all of that back. So this week, we're gonna have Block, we're gonna have PayPal, we're gonna have Coinbase. So I think it's really important to watch the behavior after expectations high. Stocks have had big runs. They put up the quarter in the guidance. And maybe you have that one day move. But like with AMD here, it doesn't take too many folks at the same time saying, is this as good as it gets, right, to head for the door and have the opposite reaction.
2: One more name for you to contemplate that saw a big reversal in just a matter of, I think, an hour or so was Uber yesterday. Pre-market, better profitability than expected. They were up and then lost all of those gains and throughout the day. So that's another one that, I was all day, I was trying to figure out why. Maybe it was some profit taking, but what does that say about the market as well? That's a stock that has run up 100% year to date.
0: All right, so I saw you on CNBC talking about this. It's interesting, this is a company I, I know that really well And I want to talk a little bit about the advertising business there because it's something that I use Uber an awful lot and I've tried to use Lyft here and there and just in New York City, it's just one of those things that I think availability of drivers and speed, they just got it down. And Josh Brown of the Halftime Report, the reform broker, he had a great post on his blog yesterday talking about Uber and we'll put that in the show notes. And he was actually talking about it in the context of Elon Musk wants to build a super app, but Uber is way far ahead of their ambitions. I just thought it was really interesting. I'm not saying it's going to look like the super app that that Elon Musk envisions like a WeChat, but when you think about how many users and you think about the trust that you already have with them for your safety, for your financial, you know, all that sort of stuff. I thought it was an interesting thought exercise. But the one point I wanted to make about this advertising business is that this could be really powerful. You've tracked it with Amazon as it's become a 30 plus billion dollar high margin business. I opened Uber the other day and I saw a reminder that the show that I love now on Apple TV plus hijack. I don't know if you've seen this with Idra Elba. It was like, hey, new episode tonight or something like that. That is a powerful relationship that you have in your phone like that if you're using it multiple times a day, the way I am. So talk to me a little bit about that business.
2: That is an interesting idea. And I think that Dark shah he had ambitions to be a super app years ago and he tried to have a FinTech offering, which didn't really work. They do have food and delivery. So I guess I can understand that point as far as any American tech company is able to achieve super app status. I'm skeptical that anyone is even close to it in the way that it really exists in Asia. Uber and advertising is interesting. You're right. It took everyone's surprise at Amazon that it became this massive business. It's high margin. It's high growth if you're getting into it. You have a compelling platform. I worried at the beginning that it would be a little bit too intrusive, right? You hear about advertising being pushed to you, to your phone, when you didn't even open up the app. So it's interesting to hear that you think it's compelling and that it's useful. However, we'll see. Did you see as well yesterday just the pure price of ride sharing and food delivery? Did you see that in a Wired interview, Dara Shahi was asked to guess how much an Uber cost to get there? He said 20 bucks. It ended up being more than twice that. And that, I guess, is you can say that it's inflation, but there are studies out there that have looked at the price of ride sharing and it has gone up so much faster than really anything else?
0: I use the subway as much as I can in New York City. It is easily the best way to get around in a fast place. A lot of folks are just not happy about what they perceive to be the safety underground. And so you've also seen with the rise of ride share that the amount of taxis or the availability has gotten poorer. So as we get to a point where we're looking to the predictable tech solution, Uber has definitely gained that trust. And we think about that delivery business that they had, they gained a lot of trust of a lot of Americans during the pandemic or so. I think that Dara, who came in and was meant to fix something that looked very wide-reaching as far as their ambitions in a way, has really focused on a couple of things that they want to do really well. And I know that you've been really critical a lot of these, and I don't mean critical, you've actually highlighted the fact that a lot of these companies were doing it, right, at the shareholders behest, right, as far as profitability was concerned. He guided towards got profitability they're getting there so he's done the things that he said he's going to do from an investor standpoint i think that's good and from a consumer standpoint i feel like yes the costs have gone up for a lot of these deliveries and the fees that are embedded in that sort of thing but the service has not suffered
2: yeah and i think that dara kazashahi has done a really fantastic job communicating with wall street i think that he was early to realize that you can't just rely on adjusted which was one of my big complaints is that i think that maybe the average investor when you say you're profitable And you don't specify whether that's adjusted EBITDA or gap profitability. I think that can sometimes be misleading to some of the average investors. But to his credit, a billion dollars in free cash flow. That's pretty amazing for a company that even not long ago was losing billions and billions of dollars. And the thing that I take issue with is I wonder the business model. I don't know that it's still disruptive and it's going to change everything or it's going to be the Amazon of transportation as it was claimed during its IPO or whether it's just this kind of interesting utility, right, that has replaced the taxi industry. Even when we talk about its profitability and the headline from yesterday was first quarter of operating profit, it's a little cloudy because they have so many other investments in other companies. So they're not totally in control of that profitability fate. They're subject to Aurora and Grab and Didi and Lime, a scooter company that is still private. So those are all marked to market or marked in some way each quarter. So if you are a bull and you're looking for Uber to enter the S&P 500 next year, not so fast. They got to show four quarters of this. And that's not necessarily in Dara's hands, even though he's a great operator, has to do with some of these other companies and its investment. That's a
0: really great point. Tesla, when it was added to the S&P 500 in late 2020, that stock was a rocket ship from the moment it was announced. I think it was like November of 2020, the stock was floundering a little bit or was basing and they put up those four consecutive quarters of gap profitability. And that was it. And, you know, once you get into one of those indexes, it's a good place to be. And for a company that was just nearing $100 billion market cap, I'm sure that's going to be on a lot of investors radars here. But again, that's not the reason to buy a stock. I do think, though, that it adds to. It immediately will go into dozens and dozens of funds that track the S&P 500. I I caught you last week. I was taking a look into a story that I had heard and that you've been working on about the demand for office space in San Francisco. We know that a lot of the narrative over the last kind of couple of years has been that this is one city center that has not come back the way like a city like New York has. And you were on the NBC Nightly News. You were doing a report on just what this AI bubble might mean for demand for commercial real estate in San Francisco. So my question to you is, what did you learn about this? And my view is that I think what's gone on in the stock market as it relates to AI probably doesn't map exactly to like how we're going to see this kind of play out. So I'm just curious, is what did you learn from that reporting here? And is it really something that a lot of these folks are really focused on the Bay Area here, or is it going to be a bit more dispersed than some of these other secular shifts that we've seen that have been perceived to be out of Silicon Valley over the last call it, 10 to 15 years?
2: So the reason I started looking into this story is I went to a wedding in Vancouver, Canada, and I had so many people in the property business as well come up to me and say, oh, are you okay? What is happening in San Francisco? You know, what a mess that city is. And I thought, it's interesting. I know I've heard this narrative. I've seen it a lot. But living in the city, it really does not feel that way which is to say both things can be true. You're going to walk through the Tenderloin, even Union Square. It's not going to be great. These are the center of the city where you see open air drug market, homelessness problem. I so my kids know that when we get out of the car to go to hockey practice in downtown, they got to hide the Nintendo Switch in the trunk underneath. Otherwise, our windows will be smashed. Our car will be broken into. This is just something that they have grown up knowing. So the question is, is it all that much worse right now than it ever has been? I would say it's always not great in San Francisco. And we've gotten a really bad rap. Yes, some of that is fair. But I went to look look at the AI excitement and who's building here. And it turns out that a lot of companies And really interesting people in artificial intelligence, especially generative AI, they're building in San Francisco. They want to be here. I went to one company, Scale AI. It was last valued at $8 billion. So it's a big company. And this guy's been around forever. Went there on a Thursday afternoon to film the story. And the office was full. And they had, you know, I want to say it was like more than 10,000 square feet right in the middle of the city. And you go to a place like Hayes Valley, still considered sort of downtown San Francisco, and it is buzzing. The cafes are full of people working on things. There's these kind of like AI communal living places where people are networking. So I think both things are true. I also talked to a lot of people in the business community with established businesses, particularly in fintech, that are unhappy with the city's policies and they want to see more from Mayor London Breed. And I sat down with her as well to try and question her on what she's doing. And it's tough. So the city has a lot to come back, but there is also this glimmer of hope. And I will say that a lot of it's happening here. And the numbers back that up as well. You've got, I think, 20 of the best funded AI companies. They're all here in the Bay Area. And a lot of them are in San Francisco proper.
0: All right, listen, Deirdre, this is a big week. We have some big fintechs. We have Apple, we have Amazon. Those are Thursday after the close. You and I will definitely check back Next week, you can find Deirdre on CNBC on her tech check, and she will be reporting on all of this. So I really appreciate you being with me this afternoon. Thank you, Dad. Stick around for my conversation with Gene Munster of Deepwater Asset Management for a preview of Apple and Amazon's earnings. Also, my conversation with Guy Adami, my co host on the Market Call, and Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. We take a look at the charts in Apple and Amazon into their earnings reports Thursday after the close.
1: Cross River Bank member FDIC.
0: Let's talk about Apple really quickly because next week, This is one where it kind of astounds me, the ability for this stock to make a new all-time high. It got above $3 trillion in market cap. I think it's easy to say that expectations are particularly high. We know that the product cycle that's coming in the fall here, new operating system, new iPhones. Just give me a sense of where you think this company is. That article in Bloomberg last week, I think it was interesting. It obviously wasn't a leak from the company. They don't care about stuff like that, where it was that they're rushing around to come up with some generative AI tools that can be commercialized. We know that they've spent billions and billions of dollars on machine learning and a lot of this sort of AI that is exciting in and around Microsoft and Amazon and Alphabet and, and Meta right now. This is a company that has been working on all of this and integrating it into their products. And we know that just because they don't have something to be commercialized at the moment doesn't mean that they will not have a, one of the best products, whether it be a year two, three years from now. That's just the way they
3: operate. So the AI piece, maybe let's put that, in the other things going on category when it comes to Apple, especially this week, and focus on the pressure points. Our biggest pressure point is the number of monthly active devices. This is a metric that Apple's been promoting more recently. And I believe the recent stock action relative to the fundamentals is evidence that's what investors are looking for. In the December quarter, it grew 8% year-over-year, which is an acceleration from a 4-ish percent. They didn't give out the exact number in the March quarter, but they did mention that in a very brief press release. They're always brief, but in that first paragraph, they said their monthly active devices grew year-over-year, and that is going to grow again in the June quarter. The math is it almost has to grow. The device revenue could be down almost 30%, and they could still maintain flat active monthly devices. So devices are probably going to be down 2%, 1%, maybe up a couple percent. So they're going to grow that number. So that is the sleep well at night number. That's this whole ecosystem is in in place. The flywheel is working. And that is the piece that allows investors to be comfortable at owning Apple, despite what was some concerning TSMC news around uh, smartphones, down 22% in the June quarter. So they just reported that. The street's looking for Apple's iPhone revenue to be down 1%. There may be some softness to that number, but I don't think really investors are going to care that much because, as you said, there's an upgrade cycle coming and people eventually are going to upgrade. So, my take is, is that that's the key pressure point. I just want to just quickly talk about Apple and AI. And They've been clear to publicly avoid talking about AI because, uh, number one, I don't think it is a particular strength of theirs. And number two, is that they don't want to play into the hype. But if you think about this whole concept of artificial intelligence, there's a, a new layer being talked more about, which which is personalized AI. This isn't going to a chat bot and, and trying to get some help writing emails. This is the idea of asking a chat bot who knows you, what restaurants you like, what your travel preferences are, what your driving preferences are, all of this and to ask it questions. And it gives you some insights and helps book all these different little parts of our lives. And, Ultimately, that is a privacy-first type of an AI experience, and Apple's built a brand around privacy. So my money is on that eventually, one, two years down the road, Apple really goes hard after this personalized AI. I'm going to be writing more about it, but I would just leave it there for now.
0: Yeah, and I think health probably has a a big something to do with that also, too. So, you know, I find that all pretty interesting. And really, that is a service that this company has been able to be revalued on the back of that kind of device growth that you talk about. But then obviously, the uptake of a lot of services there, too. So to me, I get it. I was trying to pick apart for years, what was the universal kind of bullish view on Apple. I'm not saying at all time highs, I'm changing my tune on that. But I've been very consistent in the fact that I think there's markets for them to win, especially as the hardware Piece of this just gets iterative, less interesting. Do you know what I mean? And I guess that's how you revalue this company. But just for the here and now, Gene, you mentioned that the, the Taiwan Semi the guidance on smartphones. Apple is a twenty plus percent customer of Taiwan Semi. They guided smartphones down. 20-some percent, okay? And when you think about just demand, you think about the deflationary readings we're getting in China, okay? China could be a huge issue. And it brings me back to that kind of Q4 calendar 2019. Do you remember when Apple had its, I know you remember, its first negative pre-announcement in probably 10 years? And it was on the back of China. And I just don't know how this is going to play for Apple. When you think of all of the issues that it relate from a geopolitical standpoint between us and all the things that are going on with advanced chips and the bands and this. and that. I just think that Apple has got to be in the crosshairs here, man. And I just think from a nationalistic standpoint and the, the buying of uh, hardware and services at some point, I've got to think that this is going to work its way into demand for Apple products in China.
3: China will be negatively impacted. And I think that there is risk to the iPhone number in the June quarter. The piece that has been made it more complex for me is I thought that there was concern going into the December quarter and they missed the miss. It was bad. And then I thought there was concern about the June guide when they reported the March quarter. And I was right. And both times the stock just kept trading up based on that monthly active device number. And so in this case, I think that there is risk. I think everything you just said is spot on, but I don't think investors are owning it for that. I think they own it for just this idea that our lives are becoming more dependent. There are three companies out there who are trying to integrate hardware, software services. It's Google, Samsung, and Apple does it by far better, my opinion, better than those those other two. And I think that as consumers, as we want more of those devices, I think that is the piece that keeps this multiple where it is. I'll just put one postscript to the whole conversation that is going to be probably get some pretty good airtime on this, which of course is Vision Pro. Vision Pro is going to surprise investors. It won't surprise investors in this year or next year, or maybe in 2026. It will not surprise but i think long term this concept of spatial computing is real and i think that we we being i think information workers We'll be spending one to three hours a day in spatial computing within a decade. And Apple's going to have a big opportunity there. My point in bringing up uh, Vision Pro is that it is still in the category of other things that they can get into that can continue to expand what they're doing. And that's far beyond uh, what the TSMC numbers are and some of the issues with China. I think they're just going to keep turning those screws down.
0: All right. And and again, I'll just say this about expectations. This stock has generally gone unchecked. It had a pullback in February from the highs from about 155 to $1. 45 or something. And since then, it's just been on this kind of torrid pace. It's gained, you know, 55% from its lows in the first week of January, which is pretty astounding for a $3 trillion market cap company. I think the safest thing for all of these themes, if you love all of these themes that are infected themselves into the psyche that didn't really exist in these stocks, let's call it six to nine months ago, would be a healthy pullback, right? A little fear put back in the market. There's been a lot of Johnny come lately to these stories, you know what I mean, who are really just keying on this last piece, Amazon Reports. I know this is a name that you know very well. Thoughts here, because this one was left out of this party a little bit, joined the party quite recently. How are you thinking about Amazon? How are you thinking their core drivers? The North American retail piece has been interesting because of COVID, inflation, the overbuilding, the pullback of that sort of stuff. But there's also been these other themes, right? The advertising piece, which you know very well, you've been very bullish on that. And then also the integration of a lot of these technologies Think about how many billions of dollars at the cost of profitability to Amazon over the last 10 years, their investments in machine learning and AI. But then also AWS, this is a huge part of this, right? And their ability to offer a lot of these tools across that cloud platform. This is a huge piece to the Amazon puzzle.
3: It is. The pressure point in the case of Amazon is going to be AWS. And of course, it's been decelerating. Azure and Google Cloud Services have been maintaining almost 30% year over year growth right now it's going to be probably 11, 12% for AWS in the June quarter. But the reason why there's some room for optimism on Amazon, my bottom line is I'm more indifferent. I don't know how that indifferent, I'm unsure how it plays out relative to this print. I think that the positive is that they're probably going to start to see VWS year-over-year growth in the back half of the year. The numbers just get too easy for them. And and they're also going to have some benefit from all that's going on uh, with the broader AI theme and some of the cloud. So I think that probably gets the stock moving. The key question that I'm trying to figure out it gets to the retail business, still uh, a huge uh, part of the business, call it 70% of their business. And I think when you uh, look at the margins on that, they're still essentially flat over the past decade. It's incredible. Could there be, this is the question that I'm trying to grapple with, is there a, a case that over the next five years that as more automation comes into the logistics piece, I recently toured an Amazon fulfillment center, there's still a lot of people, a lot of is this is human labor. As, as automation starts to play into this, could their retail business actually come back and become a darling part of the story? Could this be a 5% operating margin business? If that was the case, I think the stock goes higher. It's not the near term, but that's what I'm thinking about.
1: Dan, you're about 10 months into the row body program. You look great. It looks to be maintenance now. Congratulations. Give us an update. Yeah,
0: well, I feel great too. So when I think about what I set out to do, I was looking to take about 15% of my body weight off through the row body program, and I've done that now. So now it is about maintenance, it is about nutrition, it is about exercise, it's about. Better sleep and really better habits here. So I can do this all in the app on the Road Body program here. And I'm really looking forward to actually taking these new behaviors into 2024 because I am feeling a lot better.
1: Well, it's clearly working, Dan, and congratulations. And folks, if you're interested in learning more, go to road.co OK. You'll pay just $99 for the first month and $145 per month thereafter. If prescribed, medication cost is separate. That's row.co slash OKAY.
0: Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. charting. How are you, Carter?
4: Man, I'm good. I'm good. How about you? All
0: right, let's talk about uh, what's going to be the main event, um, at least as far as earnings are or what's left of earnings here. Carter, Apple, um, you've had a very nice bullish call. It's really had this very uncorrected, um, very you know, just methodical move higher to new all-time highs. It broke out above you know the highs from um, a year ago, and it's kept on going here. We look at the implied move in the options market for tomorrow's print. It's about 3.5% um, in either direction. This is a stock that is $3 trillion market cap that's up 50% on the year. It's up more right from um, its 52-week lows. Talk to us what you're seeing in the chart and how you're thinking about being positioned in this one.
4: Well, I mean, look, I've been fading this as it goes higher and higher and higher. Just being cautious or considering uh, anything negative or suspect has has just not worked up and right. But, um, you know, there's an expression, perfection exists, does, but it doesn't last, right? You can have a perfect a play in sports you have a perfect you know a triple quadruple gainer flip in the pool or a perfect uh you know performance solo but uh, you can't keep that up and this is a perfect 45 degree angle again it's incredible and so we know that it's been on the trend but we're starting to breach that trend line ever so slightly the next chart has a red arrow on it and now of course that's a judgment you could say, well, Carter, it's going to be another green area. You don't know what the hell you're talking about. But um, my thinking is we're, we've are we just pushed it as far as it can push. There's, everyone loves it. And interestingly, do they love it? The sell side has a price target that's right currently where the stock is trading. So Wall Street, uh, for what that term means, meaning uh, two or three dozen uh, highly paid, highly educated securities analysts working for investment banks have a price target that argues for Apple having no progress next 12 months. Here's the same chart going back even further. Let's draw some more lines. What we do know is uh, that there's a level of support at 180 plus minus. We take away and look at the next one. And just to bring that in relief, could we drop down there? Sure. Look at this longer term chart. Same thing. That picks up the all time highs. Do it again longer term. And so uh, that's perfectly normal. Quite often after exceeding a former high, you check back to it, which mm. is you revisit it. And that would be, final chart, that would be a 7.73%. So I've written the words there in the report to clients: mm. A garden variety dip, 7% is nothing. Correction, drop, decline, drawdown. doesn't matter what word you like, what's your nomenclature preference. It would be normative. It would be garden variety.
1: And it would be extraordinarily healthy. And that first point is the prior all-time high from, I think, December of 2021-ish or thereabouts. So that checkback makes sense. And listen, moves of this magnitude happen over the course of minutes, if not hours, over the last uh, year or so in, in bigger cap stocks. So you can absolutely see that. In terms of the fundamentals here, and we've talked about it, Apple's a great company. No question about it. It also has mid to upper mid single digit EPS growth, mid to upper single digit revenue growth, decreasing margins over the last three, if not four quarters. Probably trading now close to thirty times next year's numbers. The services, I get it. You know they get a premium valuation for that, but how much? And unless they knock the cover off the ball, and with some of the tech stocks, some of the, uh, if you listen to some of the semiconductor names talking about some slowdowns, I'm hard pressed to believe that's going to happen. So I think this move is perfectly normal and makes a lot of sense to me.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting that, you know, um, I think that the perceived safety of this, of the cash flows and, and, and the like here, but I, I I go the other way. You know, some of the reports about this iPhone cycle and, and the kind of... Uh, the iPhone 15 and and the production of them and and the reliance on production in China and demand in China. I don't know. I I can't imagine that this guidance is going to be particularly great. So I'm in Carter's camp. A check back to um, that breakout level seems uh, to make a lot of sense for me. All right. Amazon. This is one that I think is kind of interesting, again, because You know, Guy, we have talked about how some of the consumer discretionary names um, in the market that traded a premium, uh, one of them would be Starbucks, another one would be Dizzy, another one would be Nike. They all trade really poorly relative to the market, relative to their sectors. Now, we know that Amazon obviously has uh, North American retail is is a big part of what they do. We also know that they're AWS. This is the higher margin business. And if you look at just Microsoft um, Azure and Google Cloud and the market share that they've been taking and the expectations for growth in AWS, it's going to be like low teens after a year ago at this time that was growing at like 40% or so. So Amazon's one that had a big run. Um, You know, they obviously are a company that is very involved in machine learning and, 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 you know, A lot of what we are excited about, or at least the market participants are excited about as these generative AMI models. I mean, listen, Amazon's going to be involved in all of this. And then you think about their ability to offer a lot of these services um, across AWS. This is going to be a secular theme for them. But right now, right here, Carter, what is your take into the print? Again, implied move about 7% in either direction tomorrow after the close. Curious your thoughts on Amazon and the setup into that report.
4: Yeah, you know, my hunch is to do the opposite of Apple, which is to actually make the bets on the long side. Let's look at the charts. This is, um, you know, this is very subjective. I, I would say that we, we we know the Apple uptrend is 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 what it is, and we see the breaching today, and so a little less subjective. But let's draw some lines. And so, what do we know? We know that's a very well deformed, well formed bottom formation recognized in the investment community 200 years or more, uh, head and shoulders top or bottom. It's what a reversal is. The next line that's important, of course, is the line that's been in effect since March. This is where all the strength in the market has been, where all those unfilled gaps are. we combine the two, we have this setup. Now, Let's put in some more lines just to see how precise this is. That uptrend is very precise. We're not down there. I think we could dip to it. That's nothing. That's 1%, 2%. But the question is, do we ultimately bounce off it? Um, look at this next one. And this is the key, right? We're, we're, we're at a critical juncture, right? This is uh, where you get, and your 7% implied move, or whatever it is that you had said. I can't remember exact number, 7% plus. That would get you up and out above the or down and below. And there are plenty of people who are betting uh, both ways. My arrow was green, so we shall see. One thing to point out if we look at some relative, and we might have that, and if not, that's fine too, is that Amazon's relative performance is is, is dreadful, right? I mean, this is a ratio chart, and that's to the SPY. Um, but it's turning, right, ever so slightly. The 150 moving average is starting to bottom. So I think you've got a bearish to bullish reversal on uh, the, the relative strength line. and We've got other uh, similar charts. There's a two-year um uh, that's going back sorry now five look at the look at those bottoms and then final iteration um look at the it's just Amazon has had such a wipeout relative to the market and while it's always expensive it doesn't you know it's probably 150p. I get that but that's irrelevant to can we maybe catch this for a pop absolute and relative I think it's worth a it's worth a stretch
1: you back out the moves from May of 2020 into May of 2022 and you can see it right there you know that obviously that significant move higher if you just back that out and look at the stock over the last 12 to 13 years to Carter's point it's effectively within reason the same exact price the other thing about Amazon it's difficult and I've been we've been doing this a long time in terms of fast money it's a complete crapshoot in terms of the reaction post-earnings. Uh, we've seen good quarters get sold off. We've seen bad quarters uh, been, been bought. We've seen margins surprise to the upside. We've seen them come out and say they're going to ramp up their costs and their spend and the stock gets crushed. There's seemingly no rhyme or reason for what goes on here in Amazon. So I look at Carter's chart. I totally get it. He favors the upside. But I'll say this, and Doug Cass just texted me, and he's right. I was going to bring it up. Now, with 10 year yields now today, at one point, north of 4.1%, they've backed off a tad. Interest rates are going to start to have an effect on the consumer, without question. The consumer is going to run into a wall at some point. Apple will not be impervious to that. They, spe- they sell expensive items, nor will Amazon, which is where everybody seems to want to buy things. So just keep that in mind. That does not. Um, mean it's going to happen this quarter, but it's just something to think about into the fall.
0: Yeah, no, and and it's funny. I kind of think that two names that have performed really well post-results, one was um, Google Alphabet and the other was Meta, Um, You know, they seem to be in a place where they want to fill in those gaps, especially if we're going to have a broader move lower. So if Amazon, you know, were to gap up on better than expected results in guidance, it would be one of those situations where Carter, I suspect you'd be selling, do something, sell calls, you know, like do something there. You know, because and, you know, I, I mean, the, it just seems like the sentiment is slightly shifting towards mega caps right now, away from them.
4: Yes, and and also, if we just maybe look at that last chart one more time, I meaning Amazon's been a terrible performer, but it's 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 relative performance. Where did peak? It peaked at COVID, of course, because you can't drive a car and you can't go on a. Cruise, and you can't get an airplane, and you can't go to movie, but you can sit home and buy a whole hell lot of stuff. Can't even go to a store, right? Walmart, but you can sit at home on Amazon and buy everything. So notice, its relative peak was right there in the uh, spring uh, summer of 2020, and really the peak of COVID. And so yeah. the question is, three years later, having underperformed to this extent, is it worth a speculative bet? That's my. Opinion.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, Carter Braxton Worth, we appreciate you being with us here on The Market Call. You can find him at worthcharting.com. It's one of my first reads every day. Thanks, Carter, for being with us. If you like what you heard, make sure to hit follow and leave us a review. It helps other people find the show. We also want to hear from you. Email us at contact at riskreversal.com.